Listen, Dad, are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? <sighs> it almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish it was Sunday. That's Matt. Tomorrow Ray. I don't have to run days. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another Mobile-rific episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined by two, count them, two of my fellow Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Sieg me. It's Mike. Hey, this is Justin, and I remain a char. All right, so we are here in our ongoing index coverage of the original Mobile Suit Gundam series. Tonight we're talking about the episode Garma Strikes. This is the sixth episode on the Mobile Suit Gundam original series. Just real quick, the original Japanese air date, for those of you keeping track, was May 12th, 1979. And of course, the English dub that we all saw on Cartoon Network, that was released July 30th, 2001, for everybody keeping tabs on that particular timeline. And of course, we are set up with that same intro that kind of sets up the show and the one-year war and everything. I'm just kind of, I, I keep mentioning that because I, I forget whether or not they actually stop doing that or if they keep doing that throughout the whole show. So I'm just keeping tabs on it. And then I guess when it stops, I'll actually say when it stops. But basically we've got the title card that says Garma Strikes. And we open up on Bright and the White Base crew, and they look on as the Gao Carrier approaches with the Earth-based Xeon Air Force. And we've got the Komusai that docks in the Gao, and of course, Captain Garmazabi welcomes his old friend, Shar Aznable. Garma can't help but point out Char's failure in taking down the White Base up to this point, and Char points out that the Trojan Horse is Xeon Cross Material. And if you don't know what that means, I mean, pretty much it's kind of like the equivalent of, like if you're talking about a U.S. military equivalent, I mean, it's kind of like saying these guys are right up there with like, you know, Medal of Honor or Distinguished Service Cross, you know, like something like you know, a high-ranking, you know, military honor. And basically, I guess, you know, the Xeon Cross would probably be the highest honor that the, the Xeon forces could get. So he's, he's basically giving the white base crew pretty high praise. I mean, whether that's due to their equipment or how they handle themselves, we don't know. But, you know, he's, he's basically telling 
Garma, how powerful and, and equipped these guys are. And as the two continue to discuss the capabilities of White Base, Garma relishes the chance to impress his older sister and his superior officer, Cassilia Azabi. Shar, of course, laughs, and Garma tells him, Don't do so in front of the men! You're gonna embarrass me! So, yeah. I, I, I thought this might be a good point to, like, open it up and kind of ask, like, what... I was wondering, like, what are your thoughts on the whole relationship between Shar and Garma at this point? I mean, you, you obviously get a lot of information in this scene, and, and we, you know, they kind of set up that they were sort of old friends or at least, you know, close acquaintances by the end of the last episode, and this is going to play a big role in the first half of this story arc, but I just kind of thought I'd ask you guys, like, kind of what your vibe is at this point, or or maybe, you know, I guess you can feel free to talk about anything, but, you know, just what kind of impressions do you get from, from their initial interaction and, and what your thoughts are on their relationship is? They seem to be, like, very, like, friendly rivals, I guess. Yeah, like, I always, I always kind of, like, thought they were more equal than, like, I don't know, like, the origin would have it, basically. Like, the origin really, like, hits hard that Char's, like, manipulating Garma, like, from the get-go. But I feel like, you know, the series kind of had it that they were on equal ground, like, more than, like, you would think, basically. I mean, it's weird. Like, some sometimes I feel like if I if I see parallels in my own life to a relationship that's kind of not so healthy, like, it, it sort of makes me question, you know, the validity of that relationship. But, I mean, I feel like, like sometimes you are in in friendships with folks and, and you, you kind of have that, I guess what Justin's saying, like a friendly rivalry or, you know, kind of like the notion of maybe you, you're in a position where, you know, the, there are those guys that, like, neighbors where they're trying to keep up with the joneses type thing where it's like you know the one guy gets an suv and then the other guy gets a monster truck and you know like like it's some kind of like you know it's not like they're trying to out to get each other but it is it is like that notion of hey guess what i i fought these white based guys it's like hey thanks for bringing them over i'm gonna i'm gonna kick their ass now too and it, it, it seems kind of interesting because i i feel like there there have been kind of friendships I've had, you know, in my lifetime where there, there is that kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's something where you, you sort of identify with, or, or maybe, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, set up that, that rivalry yourself. But I mean, it seems to be in their case, kind of mutual, like they're kind of like what Mike is saying, like they both, you know, have positions in the Zeon army and they're both trying to sort of you know, do their best as far as, as far as that goes. But meanwhile, we've got Ryu and the other white base crew members, and they're preparing for the coming battle by loading weaponry onto all the mobile suits. And elsewhere, Hayato is practicing on a combat simulation, while Kai teases him, noting that the actual enemy is actually right on their front doorstep. Sela kind of bails out Hayato because she walks by and pulls Kai away and using the excuse that Noah Bright was looking for him. 
And on the bridge, we see Bright and Lieutenant Reed arguing over how to approach the situation. Lieutenant Reed, of course, wants them to send the Gundam to break through the Xeon Force's lines, while Bright is voicing that Amuro needs some rest. And Lieutenant Reed orders Bright to send Amuro out anyway, and he starts yelling at all the kids, making Kika kind of howl and cry. When the DOP units from the Xeon Air Forces start to fire on the white base, Amuro comes on the comm and says that he'll go on fighting, despite pleas from Mirai, Frau Bo, Kika, Letts, and Katz. Bright and Lieutenant Reed reach a detente and compromise having Amuro launch in the gun tank with Hayato. Garma, meanwhile, intends to capture the white base. However, Amuro and Hayato quickly destroy several DOP air fighters using gun tank. The surviving Xeon soldiers then comment that the gun tank is amazing. So, I've got a few choice thoughts on how amazing the gun tank is. <laughs> Please but tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this and I'm like, it, it's weird because, like, I, I, since we, me and Mike, so recently reviewed the origin, like, there is a really cool moment where, like, young Char actually makes the gun tank look really cool, and it's, like, one of my favorite scenes in that piece. But the problem with it is, like, it, it kind of doesn't... I, I mean, it, they, they kind of rationalize it. Like, I was reading up on that particular model of gun tank. But really, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the gun tank to these Xeon guys, whether it's Garma or all the soldiers in the different forces, like, this is like a brand new mobile suit that they've never seen before. And they're like, whoa, oh, oh. Like, we thought this was just a standard tank, but oh, it's like so powerful, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, if they've never seen it before, how could it possibly be you know, in the origin, like, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, I guess when I was reading up on it, it's claiming that the gun tank that Char was using in the origin is a gun tank early type, and it was some kind of prototype model, so they call it, like, the RTX-65 gun tank early type, but I'm like, I don't know, that's kind of like a double talk for, like, we didn't care about the original series, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, and... I, I don't know, like, I, I, it's weird, like, I've always, like, I think, I think I'm gonna buy the Robot Damashi gun tank, because it's like a, what do you call it, it's, it's like one of those exclusives or whatever, and I kind of have this vibe where, like, I want to get the Gundam, the gun cannon and the gun tank, and have all three of them, like, together, palling around, but, like, I've always kind of thought the gun tank was kind of dumb. Like, I mean, it's just like, I don't get it. It doesn't have legs. Like, how is it a mobile? Like, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it, I basically, I guess I'm not surprised that the Xeon forces mistook it for a conventional tank because it's a fucking tank. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't really get it. Like, and, and the other thing too is, I mean, the gun tank is so lame, like, they knew it was lame, so that when they made, like, the movie compilations, like, eventually, at some point in the movie compilations, I think after they go to Jabiro, like, they basically it's like, oh, this gun tank, it's pretty lame, man, why don't you also have a gun cannon 
Hayato, like, why don't you and Kai both use gun cannons? You know, and they're like, yep, sign me up. Gun cannon's cool, like, because this gun tank, like, I'm going to get fucking killed because it's got, like, no mobility and, like, I can't even see behind me and shit. So, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I've always kind of thought the gun tank was kind of weird like like it was it was like the runt of the bunch like you know you've got like a litter of like badass wolves and then it's like the gun tank is just like says <laughs> one fat ass wolf you know, and can't hunt or whatever and has got to like you know i don't know but yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts which which is ironic because this this really does feel like this episode is a showcase for the gun tank you know i, I just like how how much effort goes into like launching it where they're like, we got to swap the, you know, the core fighter cockpit in and then, you know, Gamero transferred to the gun tank and then it goes on the conveyor belt and they finally like drop it like, like a stone on, onto the ground. And then like when they need to recover it, it's like, Oh, the gun tank's not working. And it happens in literally like two seconds. Like it goes like, whoop, whoop, like backwards into the white base. And they're like, okay, let's get the Gundam out. Like, okay. It's weird because the, the, it's like, I guess everything's going by so quickly because they're in the middle of this battle situation. But I mean, if you stop and think about it, like, the the argument is don't send out the Gundam because Amaro's exhausted and needs rest. But yet, they send him out in the gun tank. Like, I don't know if the idea is that, you know, the gun tank can be piloted by two people. So the fact that Hayato and Amaro are both in it, like, it kind of halves the burden that Amaro has or something. I mean, I don't know if that's the rationalization, but, like, my thing is, like, dude, they're still sending him out into the middle of the battlefield. Like, I mean, it's like, if, if the argument is he needs some rest, like, you know, I guess at this point they're like, well, there's nobody else who can pilot the Gundam, you know? But it's like, other people could have piloted the gun tank if they really wanted to do that. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and he, like Amaro even says, like, you know, oh, Sayla could do it. I'm sure Sayla could do it, but then she doesn't. It's like, okay. Yeah, that like that was a weird part too that I noticed where it's like, I think I think that's like a dub line or something. Cause because basically I'll I'll just read the next part of the description that I have here, the the synopsis, and then we can talk about that a little bit. But basically a- after that point, like after, you know, the Xeon soldiers are like all in awe about the gun tank and everything, there's this surprise force of Magella attack tanks on the ground, and they begin firing heavily on White Base. And Lieutenant Reed's men had taken control of the White Base cannons. But Bright basically tells off Lieutenant Reed and basically says, look, this civilian crew has way more experience than your guys who are all bandaged up and they can't fucking shoot for shit, apparently, because none of them can hit these Magella attack tanks. So Sela and Kai swap out with some of Reed's operators and after that point, they're, like, basically taking them down like fucking duck hunt and shit. Like, they're zapping them left and right and then bright radios the gun tank to tell amuro look even though i was giving lieutenant reed all this shit now it's time for you to pilot the gundam and break through the enemy lines and at first like amuro is protesting but then he starts thinking to himself it might be easier to fight alone like on his own without anybody else interfering but at this point, like Mike said, Amaro requests that Sayla replace him on the gun tank, and they head back into White Base so Amaro can switch to the Gundam. But ultimately, what ends up happening is Kai's the one 
Kaishiden's the one who replaces Amuro in the gun tank. So it was kind of like, wait, so he he basically said like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pilot Gundam unless you have Sela pilot the gun tank. She can do it, and then she doesn't. So like, I I don't think that was in the Japanese version. Like, I don't even think that was brought up. I could be wrong, but. I, I did watch all the versions before, but I didn't. I didn't go back and make sure about that. But I think, I think it was something that they just threw in there. But I don't know why, really. I don't know. Well, I I do agree with you that I, I, I guess they had to, that. Seems like something Tamino probably didn't like. Like you said, he excised it from the the movie version. Probably. I don't think. I'm pretty sure. Like that scene with the gun tank doesn't even happen in the movie version either. I don't know. Did you watch the movie version yeah, again? Or? Yeah, I did. I mean, there's there's a few scenes from this episode that show up there, and we haven't gotten to them yet because basically they all happen towards the end of the episode, and I'll, I'll mention them when we get there. But, like, mostly, like, there there is a battle between, like, the gun tank, the gun cannon... And then all these fighters and stuff and Garma's forces. But it's it, it kind of jumps. It, it almost goes from like the episode we just watched, the re-entry. And then it almost immediately jumps to like episode 10. Where like Garma's in the, the dop ship or whatever. And they're they're hunting them down and stuff. So it's almost like they, they sort of jump. You know, obviously they jump ahead like a couple episodes because it's a more, yeah, cause... It, it's more of a condensed story. And there's, I think there's like some new animation in there too, where it's like there's there's scenes where everything looks a little kind of you know newer or, or cooler. Yeah, or well, it's like before this most recent like rewatch when we're discussing like this series. I think I like I saw the movies like last before I saw this before I saw the series. So like I don't remember a lot of this stuff. Like so I'm I'm kind of like you know what I bet most of this stuff was really shortened or removed for the movie version because I like you said I'm sure Tamino didn't like you know obviously he didn't like to hawk these toys or whatever I don't know it, it seemed kind of forced because I'm like man what is the gun tank gonna do against like three Zaku's and like uh, like there were like dozens of tanks and like you know two or three squads of the the planes or whatever i was like what is the gun tank going to do against all these things yeah i mean it, it makes an okay showing but i mean basically at, at ultimately when push comes to shove it's like the gun tank's not quick enough to keep up with the white base and all these these zeon forces like like i think the idea is the, the, the forces they send out, which is kind of why I think the gun tank is lame, is because, like, it's supposed to be the idea that these mobile suits come out and they're, like, the front line, like, cleaning up all these guys so that white base can kind of go through unharmed or at least ha have less people attacking it. And, and the whole point is, like, okay, the gun tank's fine and all. It took out some of these guys, but it, it can't keep up with even the white base. So how is it going to like protect the white base basically and you know when they decide to switch you know and 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 you know Amaro's gonna go into the Gundam and everything that's when they sort of do the whole shoo and cut to a, a commercial break and everything
Saturday Morning Fever, the new show from the Fire & Water Podcast Network celebrating the classic Saturday morning cartoons. Available on fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Hey, Fan Holes Podcast listeners, Derek Derek WC here for another Fan Holes Figure That segment. This is going to be my review for the RAHDX Neo Katagina Luz 1 8th scale PVC figure. While I'm used to RAH standing for Real Action Heroes, which is a line of Sideshow or Hot Toys-esque 112 figures from Japan, in this particular case, the RAHDX stands for Robot Animation Heroines Deluxe. While we can probably let Lauren Siak go because he runs around disguised as Laura Laura, since Ramba Rawl and Dozel Zombie also made their way into this line, it probably also stands for Robot Animation heroes. Each figure is highly detailed with airbrushed markings and comes ready to display with a base stand in window box packaging. A Mega House import with a standard retail price of $64.85, I obtained mine from the online Japanese retailer Mandarake Japan for 4,500 yen. The beautiful and very twisted lady from the Victory Gundam series comes with a couple of display options. Long flowing hair or short braided hair, fully closed or half open normal suit, ooh la la, and open hands or a hand with a combat knife ready. The swap out parts are really easy to switch out, and to remove the arms or chest portions of the normal suit, you'll also need to remove the shoulder parts. It can be pretty easy to confuse which direction the shoulder pads should be facing when putting them back into place, so make sure you take note of that prior to popping them off for part swaps. In addition, the tiny plug fasteners can sometimes get stuck on the wrong end of the plug holes, so sometimes the plugs can get stuck in the actual body instead of on the shoulder pads. My preferred configuration is the long flowing hair, open hands with the half-open normal suit. The PVC is extremely lightweight but has great balance and easily plugs into the blue base. To be perfectly honest, even though the character of Katagina is a pretty ugly example of humanity and gets compared to some of the most hated and reviled female protagonists in Gundam, like Flay Alster or Quest Pariah, she has quite the fetching and exquisite form that gives her an animal-like magnetism all of her own. In other words, she's pretty hot even if she's trying to stab a knife in your back. This may have satisfied my curiosity about this particular Gundam figure line, but I wouldn't rule out getting some more of my favorite characters in the future. If you'd like to know more about Victory Gundam or Katagina, check out Mobile Suit Mondays over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. But then, at this point, when they come back from the commercial break, there's a Zeon soldier who's reporting in to Garmazabi, telling him that the gun tank, which they had earlier thought was just this simple conventional tank, is this new mobile suit from the Federation. And Garma makes the mistake that he, he thinks this is 
the Gundam. Like, he, he thinks, oh, this is the new awesome mobile suit we heard about, so let's take it down and take it down hard. And he sends out three Zakus to fight the gun tank. But once the gun tank makes it back to Whiteface, Amuro basically goes to the Gundam, hops in, and Kai, instead of Sela, takes Amuro's place in the gun tank. And Garma then drops the three Zakus while Shar and Dren are looking on from the Gao carrier. And Shar can see that Garma's making some of the same mistakes that he had earlier from this kind of vantage point of being an observer and he, he tells Dren that Garma's impending loss will vindicate their own earlier defeats because Garma basically has a much larger fighting force than they did that Xeon Vice Admiral Dozel Zabi will take notice of the true danger that the Gundam poses and find Shar not at all at fault when his own little brother fails to you know take down the Gundam when he fails on a spectacular level with, with all these other forces. Dren then informs him that Garma is not actually going out, he's not suited up in a Zaku mobile suit, and Shar contemplates to himself either he would let Garma perish in battle, or maybe he'd go out to quote-unquote save his hide. I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this portion of it or anything, but I, I do have a question about what's coming up next, but I don't have any kind of questions for you. But if you have any thoughts on kind of, you know, Char's deliberations or, or kind of his, his, you know, mental state at this point, you know, feel free. I just think it's kind of interesting to see Char, like, mentally, you know, taking stock of his options. Like, if, if Garma was to go out, he's like, oh, well, I could save him. Or I could just let him die. And he's also thinking, well, his failure will, you know, it'll kind of like make my failure look not so bad because, you know, Char had less resources. So he's kind of, I just think it's neat. He's kind of like going through all this in his head while while in the middle of kind of like observing this battle. Yeah, he's always been a very intellectual type. You know, it's, it's always about the chess match and staying ahead and, and seeing basically all the pieces on the board and stuff like that. So he's he's always been a very calculated type of character, and, and that scene accentuates that nature that he has. So, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, like, that that helps contribute to his, his overall fan aura, I'm sure. You know, like, even though it's like even though he failed to take down the Gundam, he still comes across as like a cool customer, a cool character. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, you know, I, I know, I know you'll probably groan, but I mean, it's, it's kind of the same way. It's like Wolverine gets his ass kicked daily in, in, you know, the old school X-Men books, but he still had this, this charisma and fan aura that drew people to him. And I feel like, you know, Char has that kind of thing going for him. It's like Char might get his ass kicked or might face some losses, but still there are these things that, you know, are in his nature that just people gravitate towards him. He's a very charismatic character, whether you're in universe or whether you're just like a fan kind of, you know, watching the show. My, my question is, are there any Wolverine hug pillows? Probably not. So Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Point, point to Char. So the, the other thing I was going to ask, because it, it doesn't have too much to do with my next 
piece of the synopsis, but, you know, this is basically, now Gundam is basically being launched, being deployed, and Amuro is, you know, talking to, to Sela on the comm before he's getting launched, but did you guys notice, like, what the fuck is Kai doing on the screen? Like, he's acting like a fucking idiot, <laughs> yeah. and there's, yeah, like, no, there's no yeah. audio. I mean, obviously, maybe he's, like, losing his shit over all the the Xeon forces headed towards them, but it's like, it's like his calm is muted and he's just like, and, and that's in like all the versions that I watched where this scene was, you know, uh, a part of the episode. Like this isn't in the, the movie or anything, but I mean, if you, if you listen to the Japanese dialogue or the English dub, Maybe. there's just this, he like, was, he, he was on mute, but he was yelling, Kagome! <laughs> That's what I was going to say. He's like, Kagome, get me out of here. Uh, Inuyasha! Kagome! Amuro launches in Gundam and he starts falling. And to his surprise, you know, he, he didn't expect to fall when he got launched out of the white base. And, and he's really... It's interesting, because he's not used to fighting in Earth's gravity. I mean, I, I was trying to justify this, because it's like... I I guess the majority of his experience fighting with Gundam is in space, because most of it has been. But, I mean, he did kind of acquit himself pretty quickly and pretty well when he was on Side 7. So I'm like, well... Is Side 7's gravity, like, is the artificial gravity of a colony, like, that drastically different than the gravity of the Earth? Like, I mean, I guess he gains his balance pretty quickly, but they, they sort of make a big deal about it, you know, when he first launches out of the ship. And basically then, you know, he, he kind of gains his balance with the Gundam. He ends up saving Ryu from getting shot down in the core fighter, and then he helps out Kai and Hayato in the gun tank. The beam rifle is basically the all-star player here and takes down multiple DOP units and a Zaku. The Zakus realize Gundam's power and they start returning fire directly at the Gundam and that nearly knocks out Amuro. But, of course, he gets round to power! And he totally, like, runs towards the first Zaku. He grabs him by the breather tubes on his face and, of course, he uses the super ability of stock footage animation to basically, you know, knock him into a nearby Magella. Because it looks basically exactly like it did in that early episode where he grabbed, like, his first Zaku by the face and, like, threw him away and everything. And he destroys both the Magella and the Zaku. And Amuro, at that point, is seeing red. He slices a second Zaku right down the middle and decimates the Zeon forces. So this was a pretty badass scene. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, moments in other Gundams when I, I know I really like a character when they can sort of handle themselves and they, they are tired of putting up with being kind of, you know, pounded on or shit on or pissed on or whatever, you know? Like, I mean, I, I remember my favorite part, even though Seed Destiny turned out to be a whole load of crap, was that episode 12, you know, where he, you know basically totally oh, Shin goes ape shit yeah, on those battleships on all those yeah. battleships like that was that was my favorite part and i think e even though this kind of gets glossed over and 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 doesn't happen really in the 
the movie version, you know? I mean, I, I think it's sort of an important scene, you know? Like, and I, I really kind of dug it. I, I enjoyed this part of it. I mean, I, I maybe there's, there's for me, there's a catharsis in it, like, you know, because Amaro's been kind of hounded this whole time, and he kind of, you know, gets the cut loose a little bit. But, you know, I'm just kind of curious, like, what your guys' thoughts are. It certainly shows, like, how fearsome, like, the Gundam is, basically. Like, if, you know, where that Amuro, even as as much of an amateur as he is, that if he, like, sets his mind to it, he can, like, tear through this entire attacking force on his own, basically. So, I mean, I think in my when I was watching this, I, I had in my head the manga, like, the origin version of this scene, which is, like, obviously, since, you know, it's a manga, you know, they can draw everything completely on model and fluid and stuff. So I feel like it was a lot more visually impressive, actually, in, like, the origin manga, just because, you know, everything looks really nice. But, yeah, I mean, it comes across okay in this, like, 1970s animation notwithstanding or whatever. I mean, I, I think I think the animation in this episode is definitely back on track. I mean, I know I made some comments about some of the, you know, like the the fourth episode maybe or, you know, not, not being quite up to snuff or whatever. But I, I feel like this is kind of back to where where it started you know i'm i'm, I'm kind of okay with with the way the animation is at this point yeah i i only had like three real notes about this episode and they all kind of relate to this sequence i was like amuro forgets what gravity is talks to himself and pulls a gohan <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> unleashes his hidden power yep leave my white face alone <laughs> And then Lieutenant Reed is like, his power's awesome. <laughs> He's huge. He's huge. He's like, I better destroy the moon. <laughs> Should we start calling him Big Reed now? <laughs> it's Big Reed. <laughs> He's like, Lieutenant Bright, let that child alone. <laughs> So at this point, Garma calmly orders the Gao cruiser to turn around so that the Xeon forces can regroup, and he's now determined to take in the white base and Gundam in one piece, and he is aware that this requires a complete change in his strategy. On white base, Bright and Mirai are planning to reach the Federation underground as their next step. Meanwhile, Amuro leaves the Gundam on his return to White Base, but ignores Frau Bo and the cheers from Kai, Hayato, Sela, and Ryu, and simply walks back to his room. Even when the kids, Kika, Let's, and Cats, and Haro, come by to celebrate with Amuro, either with cake or pie, champagne or soda pop, depending on whether you're watching the Japanese language or the English dub, and at that point Amuro basically asks to be left alone and falls restlessly into his bed. And I, I, I think it goes without saying, Amuro is despondent in the ocean dub, but in the LA dub, He's a dick face. Like, he's basically like, Thanks, now get the fuck away! You know, like, that's basically like how he comes off in that. But, I mean, you know, I guess in the 
And the ocean dub, like, he's, he, he doesn't say thank you, but he's just kind of despondent. Like, he's kind of in his whole Howard Hughes putting in the milk phase, I think, where he's he, he just kind of wants to curl up into a ball and rock himself to fucking sleep or something. I, I guess that scene, uh, it must have been, like, refreshing, I guess, like, back back then, basically, because, you know, like, most mecha or super anime, like, after, like, you know, the the good protagonist go, mows through a bunch of enemies. He comes back, and his teammates are probably like, you know, good job, like buddy. And they was like, yeah, we did a good job. But Amaro just kind of stalks off and goes to bed. So like, I think that that it's a nice like bit of realism, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great, excellent point, Mike. Because you know, most of those kind of super robot genre shows, they they probably would be popping the corks on the champagne and and yeah and they, they sticking, don't show like sticking they can cake in in people's faces and shit like yeah, that they, they don't show like the human toll on like this on the on you know the, the human cost of war basically and you had asked about like where this lines up with the the movie trilogy and basically this sequence where the kids like it, it's almost like right after they enter Earth's orbit, like this scene where Amaro's all despondent and wants to be left alone and Kika lets and cats come by and say, hey, let's party. And he's like, no, I want to go to sleep. Like that's basically the main scene that is taken from this episode that's stuck in the movie. And, and then it kind of tracks back a little bit to earlier in the episode to set up like Char and Garma meeting like when that Kamusai, like, drops him off and everything, and they kind of go, hey, it's Char, my old friend, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that, that, then after that point, kind of like, you know, we were discussing, I mean, there, there is a gun tank battle, but it's not just the gun tank. It's like the gun tank, the gun cannon, and it, it kind of gets jumbled up into, like, all the way to episode 10 with, like, Amuro refusing to fight and bright slaps, and, you know, it kind of gets all kind of convoluted at that point. But... But that's basically this sequence, you know, where he kind of is, is, you know, wanting to be left alone and just, you know, kind of curl up in the fetal position in his bed. Like, that's basically what is carried over into the film version. <sighs> huh? Amaro, we're having a party to celebrate your victory and you're our special guest. We brought champagne for her toes. Find up. Hooray for Amaro. He's my hero. Three cheers for Amaro. Hip, hip, hooray. Thanks. Now go away and leave me alone. All right? I need to rest. <laughs> You're a real wet blanket. that scene where Char kind of analyzes what, you know, what's going to go wrong and kind of predicts that, you know, this is going to backfire on Garma. And then, yeah, at the end, like, you know, they have that little scene between Garma and Char 
and Char gets the little evil like eye glint after he gets out of the shower or whatever, where you kind of, you know, is this this is probably like the first hint that he's has it in for Garma or he's there's more to their relationship than what is like, you know, immediately portrayed. Well, I mean, he, he does consider letting the Gundam kill Garma earlier. So it's probably not the first time you have the notion of it, but I I think the scene's important because when he comes out of the shower, like, I mean, because they're, they're kind of setting up like it's, it's an interesting scene because the idea that someone's coming to chat with you while you're in the shower kind of denotes a level of comfortability that is kind of, I don't want to say unheard of, but it's like a level of comfortability that not many people share, right? I mean, it's kind of like, I I, I keep thinking, like, I I don't know if it's a great movie or not, and I'm trying to think of the name now. I think it's like Tupac and and Tim Roth and and some chick or whatever. I can't remember the name of the movie. The film Derek is trying to remember is a 1997 crime drama called Gridlocked. They have this scene where, like, they share a toilet. Like, all three of them. The girl and the two dudes. And they're, like, so tight that they all piss in the same fucking toilet. And it's, like, this weird thing of, like, that's how tight they are. And, like, there, there's that also. It's not the same thing, but, like, the idea that Garma is just, like, yo, dude, like, I'm gonna talk to you from the shower. Like, you're my fucking girlfriend. You know, and we're gonna just discuss, like beating up Gundam and White Base and shit. And and Garma's almost like, dude man, you didn't you didn't tell me, bro. And and Char's like, bro, I totally told you, Zeon Cross material, man. You know, and, and basically they set up the whole thing like, well you're gonna help me, right? And he's like, dude, I'd be honored to help you, bro. And then when when you know and he's like, well, you're a really good friend, bro. And Char's like, don't get sappy, bro. And then when he leaves, that's when he's, like, drying his hair with the towel. And I think, like, the reason why the glint in the eye is important, not only because people kind of interpret it as ominous or evil or whatever or sinister, I think it's kind of important because this is, isn't this, like, the first time other than, like, the whole Sela thing? I mean, it's like, it's like you don't often get to see char's eyes you know what i mean like because most times he's masked so he's he looks so cool and collected because it's almost like the mask is like his poker face and and this is like the first time or one of the few times you get to see him without his poker face you know where it's like i'm gonna fucking kill you when i get the chance motherfucker you know like and of course just to finish off the the Strict synopsis. Meanwhile, on the white base, Amaro continues to lie curled up in his bed. And the next episode, the core fighters escape. Who will survive? So. So that that I mean that pretty much wraps up the whole synopsis stuff. And you know, I I don't know if you guys have any overall thoughts. I mean, I I enjoy watching these episodes one by one. I mean, I I like I said, I think this particular one i think the animation was a bit more on track than it had been in in some of the last couple episodes that we watched i like getting into some of the 
I, I guess, dare I say it, like the, the Char mythology, you know, there's more of that. So obviously that's fun. And, and, you know, again, like I said, I mean, I, I, I do often like sequences where your protagonist will kind of, for lack of a better term, lose themselves in a sea of red. I mean, I, I, I've kind of liked that with various characters, you know, whether it's the comparisons you guys made to a character like Gohan, who basically, you know, cuts loose or whatever, or so, something that I think of is like a character like Orion in like Cosmic Odyssey, where they, they tell the story about how he just freaking lost it and basically it's like you know oh all i saw was red and it's like there were hundreds of guys coming at me and then the next scene it's like he's just standing on a pile of fucking bloody bodies you know and he's he's kind of lived to see the the next day because he just kind of you know went into warrior mode and and was not going to stop until you know there wasn't anybody left standing and I, I i guess i've always kind of sort of had a respect for that that kind of sequence and 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 that notion you know so it's like i i kind of like that that sequence that that amuro had as well i i, I like this episode for the most part i think i enjoyed the previous one better like this one i, I don't know i think the gun tank like scenes were kind of like mandated by the studio or whatever like just to sell the toy or the model kit or i i don't know it just didn't know, seem yeah, that that makes sense. It's yeah. Like, it's like what it's like, oh boy, a Bashir episode. You know, it's like yeah. oh boy, a gun tank episode. Yeah. Yeah, the the gun tank brought down the episode, but it was redeemed by sexy showering Char. He's <laughs> <laughs> <was> too sexy. He's <laughs> Bratva. <laughs> is the Char pillow do they do they come in the shower stall pillows versions or is it just in the uh red comic all i was thinking of is there was a wolverine like body pillow it would have like all fake hair on it or something (laughs) (laughs) i don't know some some fat ladies are going to be fighting you for that hugh jackman body pillow or whatever what is it i know i have a good friend in you don't get all sappy on me now all right so I guess this will conclude our coverage of episode six, Garma Strikes. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can, of course, email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. All the backlog of our episodes can be found on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We're on all kinds of cool social media and we appreciate all the feedback that we receive there on facebook tumblr twitter instagram we can be streamed on stitcher radio you can find us on itunes of course reviews there are great they help get the show found and until the next time this is going to be derek derek wc signing off hey it's mike and uh I think the core fighters should just, you know, stay inside the mobile suits. Yeah. And this is Justin. Man, what what would happen if, like, they, they let the gun tank out and it just, like, fell on its side, like, straight out the door? <laughs> 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 
見せぬもの見せぬものただ明日へと明日へと永遠に She's lucky it comes with all these like cool extras, like a little hangar bay and all this other cool stuff. Because Gun Tank is definitely not Bratva. You know what I'm saying? Is Bratva? No, no, is Bratva. No, is Bratva. Gun Tank is no Bratva. Is no Bratva. Kai wrecks the Gun Tank and he's like, Kagome! Kagome! It's like Gundam is Bratva. Gun tank is no Bratva. No Bratva. <laughs> How does a gun tank become Bratva? <laughs> the truth is what you make it, Oliver. The gun, the gun tank is the thing that gets shot in the head after the Gundam's like trying to trying out for Bratva or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude. Gun tanks, like we all gotta ring the bell. So you distract all these guys. I'll go up with the Gundam and ring the bell. Excellent, you rang bell. Gun tanks, you shoot them all. It's like what? But we work together. <laughs> I already had my power nap. I'm good. I don't know. I'm just like really tired today. Like I just like I had dinner and then like an hour ago, like I finished off like a whole bag of like donuts and stuff. And like, I'm like, that should give me a sugar rush. And now like it's an hour later and I'm already like tired again. You didn't, you didn't learn the, the life lessons of GI Joe. You didn't listen when lifeline told you to eat that fucking apple instead of the donuts. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> when I was just sitting and eating and lifeline just happened to be walking. by. <laughs> Is that my kitchen window for some fucking reason? 